Hey everyone, and welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Arbilla, the lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange. We run courses specializing in helping clinicians apply a BPS approach to their clinical practice. So check it out at tkex.org. I have some special guests today, and we are going to chat about a relational approach. We're going to have a, a dialogue in relation to the lived experience of working with people who have chronic pain. My two guests today, I have Kit Wisdom. Kit is a physiotherapist with a master's in wellbeing science, currently undertaking training in Hakomi somatic psychotherapy. She sees the body and our relationship with it as central to each person's pain experience. I also have Dr. Shelley Barlow, pain physiotherapist, psychotherapist, masters of gestalt therapy and a PhD. And her research focuses on the experiences of physios working with patients who have chronic pain. So first of all, I'd like to thank you both for joining me on this dialogue. And I'm very excited and nervous and very keen to see how this emerges. So Shelley, for, for us to know a little bit more about your work, could you tell us a little bit about your, your research and your work? Sure. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Kit. Um, I've been working in pain for over 35 years. And my PhD emerged out of me working in outpatients. So prim primarily sort of just general outpatients and having done a um, two and a half year um, stint in pain clinic. And when I came into outpatients, I couldn't understand what it was that outpatient physio struggled with around um, in, in their encounters with people with chronic pain. You know, there was a lot of me witnessing um, physios avoiding working with people with chronic pain and not wanting to go there. So um, after doing my Gestalt Masters, um, I thought I would have a deep dive into um, their experience, their lived experience. So I used a form of um, inquiry that um, allows for the lived experience of of um, the situation to come forward in a way that parallels what I was hoping to engender within a clinical encounter. So what I was hoping to do was bring in some of the um, philosophical tenets of phenomenology, which is a form of um, inquiry into um, experience, but also consciousness into the clinical encounter. So I really wanted to see what it was like for people like myself and outpatients to have a really raw experience, what it, what it was like from that sort of very naive experience of working with people with chronic pain. So the participants I picked didn't have any pain training or very little pain training, and um, they were basically regional um, physios and they you know were trying um, to just do the best they could do in that situation so I did sequential interviews over four years looking at their experiences and over that time they there were certain signposts that they developed that allowed certain of the participants to be able to work more fully with people with um, chronic pain. And in that, they transformed their practice and they transformed them. So they went from an avoidance of working with people with chronic pain to actually embracing the experience a lot more. So that was what I um, did. But I just, some of the background terminology that I thought I would bring up was Initially, I worked with what's called pre-reflective, reflective and reflexive consciousness. So pre-reflective consciousness is the awareness I'm having an experience, not what the experience is, but just I'm aware that I'm having an experience. Reflective consciousness is I'm thinking, feeling, imaging, you know, sensationing. So that's a slightly more... Um, removed from pre-reflective consciousness. And then reflexivity is the, what does this mean for me to have this experience? So this is what I was looking for within my interviews and um, tracking that. 
And physios at that time were not asked about what their experiences were like. Like, what is it like for you to be in this situation? And so it was a whole naive and new and novel experience for them to actually even be asked to, to that. And also I was interested in how they felt about the experience of being interviewed about a subject that's quite difficult and tricky for them and quite challenging, but also um, tracking their ability to tune into their inner experience and bring that forward at the time. Again, another skill that physios, we're not, it's not developed as part of our training to actually be able to um, track our own internal experience or responses and bring them forward um, in an interview, but even bring them forward into a clinical encounter. Even though within psychotherapy world, it's really well, um, there's a huge body of evidence to support that it's not what, the, not what the physio does, not what the therapist does that makes the difference. It's actually their ability to be with themselves, with another person, and have that relational approach, which is broader than having a relationship. So it's actually being able to have a relational um, sense of themselves within the clinical encounter with the other person. So the ideas that it is their subjectivity, how they live their clinical encounter, meeting the person who's there, um, subjectivity and it's that gap between what the physio feels and what the client or patient or person feels that was what I was really interested in so that that's the basis of my PhD and yeah so so that ability of um, a practitioner to go into their own subjective experience is actually a really um, a developmental skill that we in psychotherapy you're taught how to do that over time but my interviewees developed that purely from being asked the questions over the four years and um, that ability to be able to talk about themselves and their experience from a place of having the experience at the same time means that the relationship or the relational um, is becomes much more horizontal or much more equal. So you get away from this expert client um, situate hierarchy. And what happens then is something new can emerge. And in pain, the pain world, what we know about pain is that if you see it under the paradigm of threat, an implicit threat to the integrity of the tissues, but also an existential threat to whether or not they're going to be able to continue with their lives as they thought they wanted. You can see how making a deep dive into that is potentially threatening for both the therapist and the client. And that repeated failure of therapists with clients also starts up a whole collective trauma that's held within the, the culture of the therapy. So you can see how it becomes one of those um, spirals of this is hard, we're not very good at it, we're going to give it a go, but we're not going to get the results that we want. So it becomes a very challenging situation for everybody. So my intention was to try and unpack that a bit and see what was going on. And in, when I finished my thesis, I um, saw one of Kit's blogs, which actually articulated exactly what I had been trying to say in, you know, 100,000 words that she so beautifully said in about three paragraphs. So uh, that's how she and I kind of connected. Mm. And, yeah, yeah, so that's, that's my story. And in that, I have been very interested in asking Kit um, in the same way I asked the interviewers, what is it like for you to hear or be or bump up against this world of subjectivity 
but also the lived experience of working in this way. And also this idea that physiotherapists see people often in our training as a body and the body is seen as an object. So you know how, I don't know with your course, David, Daniel, but in our course, it was anatomy first day, like, yeah, not this is a person, but this is the forearm muscles or, or you know, whatever. On behalf of so, EPs, exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. So this idea that we're asking people to give us feedback on what it's like to a body as lived or chronic pain as lived or a person in pain as a body is lived. And so that body-centered or that embodied experience is what, you know, I try to understand. It's so beautifully beautifully written by you, Kit, in, in your website, in your blogs. And I was actually scrolling through Instagram today and saw one of your posts and that embodiment is very much role modeled by your work. So, Well, that's another whole discussion, isn't it? Trying to show up in social media in an embodied way. Um, that's why I don't post very often because it's challenging. Um, but I was, I was listening to you talk then, Shelley, and I just think that was beautifully, beautifully said. Um, I think for me throughout, throughout that um, little monologue you had was a, a real sense of um, possibility and a real lightness in my tummy, I think, um, that just kind of kept building and building the more that you talked. And, you know, we've chatted about language not being too, um, you know, intimidating, but I think the way you even used those words settled me again. And especially when you sort of talked about the spiral coming down, I, I really noticed in me that that spiral's paused in the last couple of years. Um, it's still there, there's still remnants of old spirals, but I really can sense that, that that cycle has just slowed and stopped and is sort of just resting um, and creating space for something else. Um, so I really noticed then um, just again, like another layer of how, how beautiful this and elegant this sort of approach is. Um, and also in me, a real sense that I hope it's held and met kindly because it is, it is that. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing that again. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's heartwarming for me Kit, to hear you say that, mainly because this is quite edgy, I find, to, to bring into contact um, without coming across as being a bit um, unusual and a bit sort of strange. And, and you know, and, and I think... The rhythm of it is so different to the rhythm of even explain pain, you know, um, this idea of pain education, you know, and for me, um, that can be that can be done beautifully and gently and and at a slower sort of pace that allows um, each person in that dyad to to meet the other along the way or it can become like an add-on as a harshness and and my experience of people is that they have bumped up against um, all different facets of the medical profession and I mean all health professionals mm. um, and found it, it quite a harsh experience which is very counter to what we're trying to do by creating safety for people with chronic pain for their nervous systems to soften and settle and deregulate and um, co-regulate with somebody who's caring, who's there ready to meet them and, and their pre use their presence to hold space for them to disclose. Mm. Yeah, in the, in the moment. So, yeah, thanks for that. I can really resonate with that as well with the the word that comes to mind and I feel it in my chest is vulnerability it's we I can see us being taught to deal with if you'd like um, disembodied bodies and to take this step is to hold that role that we've been taught lightly and to be able to step into this space of uncertainty that's really scary and uh it's different to a lot of what our colleagues do so not only is it 
vulnerable for us to step into this space, we often don't have at least initially the support around us, the safety that we need. Um, we, we value the, the safety and care of clients. And if we can extend that safety and care to ourselves, I think that's also an essential part. And that's what comes to my mind having this conversation. Yeah. And, you know, that's beautifully said. Thanks, Daniel. And it, it's so true. You know, the key finding in my um, thesis is that this is challenging for everyone. This is challenging for even, you know, the world gurus of pain. You know, it's it's a challenging space. And um, some of our previous strategies of how we survive as practitioners has been to use our cognitive strategies, our thinking strategies, you know, more, more knowledge, more information, you know, give me more data and I'll make a clinical reasoning, you know, along, you know, an algorithm almost. But this space, it's, it, it asks for something different. It asks for a, a dropping down into more of a felt sense, more of a, um, a kinesthetic sense, more of an embodied sense and a, and a, a feeling out of what's actually going on here and now. And that gap between what I'm experiencing and what the other is experiencing, we can never cross completely. I can never know what you're experiencing 100%, never know what kids experience 100%. But what I hear from people with chronic pain is they're not seen, they're not felt, and they're not understood and if I can understand them a little bit more, there's a change in their the resonance within their neural system that's well documented within the scientific journals now, where there's actually a change in the processing of information and a settling and a, and a, a reduction of pain purely by the presence of being able to sit with somebody and have the intentionality of trying to find out what's going on for them. And Which I, brings I, me to Kit, if you don't mind me asking you to jump on in there, Kit, about what you experience just hearing that, but also what it brings to mind for you in your practice. Well, I think what came to mind when I was listening then, both to Daniel's speaking to vulnerability and then speaking to the intersubjective space is that real sense of I'm going to walk into something and actually put my agenda to the side and I'm actually going to intentionally do that and um, and what that means and that sense of both um, perhaps for me these days a bit more excitement of what might emerge but in the beginning I remember being so scared so scared to to just drop my knowing mm. and leave it at the door and and walk through the door with someone kind of going I don't I need you know a beginner's mind here um and that sense of it was a real it was really embedded from uni and from earlier you know working as a physio around like what are you going to do today how mm. even what are you how are you going to strategize if they do this or if this happens or you know, what's your backup plan, even like that real sort of scaffolding, um, which again, takes me into my head and takes me out of the, the moment. Mm. Um, so I think what came up for me then was that, that, again, that transformation that you speak to in your PhD around the challenge of, you know, even going, oh, I need to drop this agenda, but I know I still have one. Mm. And, and holding those two spaces and kind of noticing when I did bring it in, or yeah. noticing when, oh, I just didn't. And actually mm. the patient's questioning me around what it is. I had that situation yesterday where we actually spoke around my lack of agenda and how that was impacting them in the moment. Mm. Yeah. So that became more about our dialogue around even kind of we came out and understood like why I was doing that. Mm. Um, and that's beautiful in a way, Kit, because it, it talks very much around, you know, Daniel, it's it's courageous to talk about vulnerability within our professions. You know, if if I if I can't even 
imagine imagine any time in my undergraduate where vulnerability was discussed or brought forward or or um, articulated or in any way. And so when you're an outpatient physio and there's only one or two of you and you you meet whatever comes through the door, vulnerability is not something there's much space or room for. And so it's edgy enough to actually name it as vulnerability and and to actually say, you know, I'm going to do something quite different here. I'm going to drop the symbolism of physio. And by what I mean by that is our, you know, our script that we that we hold on to, which we've been trained to hold on to, and just meet you where you're at as you walk through the door, having had the experience you've had and just turning up. And in that, being open to exploring my own experience of what it's like for me to be in that place. And the one step further that I know that Kit does so beautifully is bring that into the clinical encounter as information, as really important information. I'm saying, you know, right here, right now, I'm not sure where we're going to go. You know, I'm not sure where this encounter is going to go. I've got some ideas and I'm just going to park them over there for a little while and just meet you where you're at with how it has been for you to land here in my space. And, you know, that's a very radical step in a, in a lot of ways. Mm. Even more radical to go on a podcast and talk about it, Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's lovely to talk with you two about it on a podcast. True. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like for you, Daniel, to hear, if you don't mind me pointedly asking you? Absolutely. Uh, it, it's, I, I feel a sense of <clears throat> joy with shared understanding of how the irony of we are taught that anatomy but we don't have that same practice on ourselves and it's it's almost we've been taught to lose ourselves are in that in the consultation process so it's like even these days I am working myself to name what it is that I'm feeling in terms of emotions and also tuning into my body it's it's it requires that practice and um it's it's almost sad to know that that's not part of our practice. I feel a sense of um, as a as a coach, mentor, a responsibility to hold that space for people, and and also uh, responsibility for the practice of it in these dialogues, in these safe spaces, um, with recognition and acknowledgement that it is a bit different, and it might look a bit, you know, if I was to say the word weird from the outside when we're talking about our own feelings and what, what comes up for us in our bodies. And it, it's bringing back that trust in our own bodies and that felt sense. And that, that is a huge information at that moment in that time for that person. Um, mm. Yeah. And it also, it's also a very um, edgy place to step into if you haven't had training as well. You know, um, because there's a very fine line in there between offering um, my response to the to the person as information towards their growth and development, or offering my response or my reaction that's being triggered by what they've bought. So it's that it's a very fine kind of space to navigate. And it's a fundamental human right around connection and belonging. And so we were taught as physios to connect in a particular way with patients. And then we belong to the physio profession. But to connect in a different way, in some ways, actually, we're not, we don't belong to that, that profession in the same way. We, we belong to this, this kind of new way. If, if you want to call it that, or, or, or a broader relational way. Um, 
and trying to navigate identity in that place and who am I in this place and and am I outside my scope and am I doing something wrong and am I wrong and you know they're bringing that into the clinical encounter sometimes doesn't even require dialogue it's it's done with the gaze and the facial expression and the change in the breathing which is picked up by the other person straight away they kind of know straight away um, where you're at at that point mm. so you know a lot of therapeutic um, profound therapeutic um, meeting and connection can be lost I think in 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 that vacillation we do at that at that boundary of am I doing okay am I not okay who am I in this space what am I doing mm. yeah makes me um think of someone I saw yesterday who um I've been seeing for a while now kind of holding a more space for her to process her interactions with other health professionals um knowing that we've intentionally built um a different uh, dialogue and environment with us and kind of named it as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been strategically using it actually after she's been and seen um, a GP and a surgeon um, in particular in this sort of fat shaming world. And um, it was really interesting. I've been seeing her for probably nine months, I think. And um, yesterday was a beautiful session because she mm -hmm. reached a point herself where she trusted that her body no longer needed to see that GP. Um, even though this GP was apparently aligned with um, the principles that she needed, she was getting so much um, nonverbal implicit information that was in such contrast to the words the doctor was using mm. and the tone. We talked about the tone and the facial expressions. Mm. And in paying attention to that in herself and that between us and then that between her and her doctor, Mm. She has beautifully come to this place where she's actually acknowledging the loss mm. and the despair because she spent eight years invested in this relationship and mm. there's a history and this lady has taken good care of her um, yeah. and at the same time can sense that that's really not what her body needs, like vehemently her body is telling her. Mm. Um, and she's been having, she's um, got uh, quite a few um things going on but she's kind of has noticed how um I don't want to say a good patch but you know she's noticing these um resources that she's developing and and lots of things are happening for her that she's noticing and then the day she saw the GP was a it was a real market difference <coughs> um it was just lovely to see her the next day so we could explore it I suppose but I just thought that was a really lovely a use of what we have potential for um mm -hmm. but also that she had taken all the the um not even skills but again you talked about potential for for healing and connection mm -hmm. and how she'd taken what we've worked on and apply that in her different environments and come back to again this narrative or this intention around what does my body need mm -hmm. um, and how can i create my own safety yeah um, and and often what happens for me in that is, is the relationship they've had with other health professionals is really bought, comes with them straight up to that first encounter and that the expectations, you know, are so woven into that. But also all previous relationships they've had with any authoritarian or um, figures. So mm. if they're met in, in, in a way that doesn't allow their own um, internal experience to be seen and heard and held, they're often going to just be going back through the same reenactment of that original relationship. And if it's been... Um, toxic or if it's been a wound <clears throat> you know their nervous system is already in a heightened state and they'll either do one of two things they'll either repress or they dissociate 
and either way they won't they won't be engaging um, but but often we won't pick that up so that sensitivity to my felt sense in the clinical encounter and what I am experiencing in the moment with somebody else is the most reliable thing for me to know kind of where they're at if what I've said landed or what they're there for yeah and being able to negotiate that space yeah mm. yeah so Daniel how are you going with all of this mm. um in my head thinking of a question <laughs> coming back to my body now and really what what resonated with me is the that skill of being attuned aware of what we are feeling when someone comes in because i i think for for me i noticed a story comes up as a kind of initial reaction to the way i'm feeling and I talk about that story instead of how I'm feeling. That's, I guess, my protective learnt response over the, the years that I'm recognizing. Um, so, so it's it's really it's really cool to hear that we, we can have that by us disclosing and being vulnerable. Rather, uh, it gives the other person that ah, oh, my body is feeling this way too, and now we can have this discussion and and maybe have it uh so that that cycle of you know i uh, the way that they're responding as the patient role to an authority figure us the clinician can be just acknowledged talked about maybe um we can do something different with that and that's where that cycle you, you've talked about can be yeah changed yeah yeah there's there's a caveat though on on what um, bringing in our lived experience of the moment into the um, in-between space is within a clinical encounter, it's always in service of the other's growth and development. So there's a discernment about what is shared and what isn't shared. But what's not... Um, uh, repressed or stopped is is the information so my lived experience of what it's like to be sitting in that cubicle or that therapeutic space with somebody else is is a constant um trust that i can i can hold on to with what impression am i getting here where is this per you know that moment where you go um how did you go with your exercises and they'll go, oh, yeah, good, you know, and which is a classic um, conversation. It's like, yeah, 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 and how was it for you? Or what is it like for you to be sitting here with me right now talking about this? Like what is what is going on here? Yeah. All those questions are what's it like for you right now? And it brings us back to the moment, and that's like – I need to remind myself to not go to the story or to carry on with the agenda. I think that's the, the practice of this is to um, really be present. It's, it's, uh, it reminds me a little bit of the, the, we talk about the value of listening. And one thing is saying it and the other is actually embodying that listening actively. And, and this is, um, I feel uh, an even deeper level of connection to ourselves and the patient in front of us yeah and it, it gets a deeper um, level of relating that's much more human to human and that brings in that idea that my nervous system is being impacted by your nervous system being impacted by my nervous system and it's that it's that resonance that's ongoing from the moment they ring up actually or even you know kit's i kit's way of processes having the 30 minute chat before they come to their first session you know the idea that the relationship starts the moment they make contact with the service and and you know it's only through doing psychotherapy training that i've actually brought that in much more strongly into my 
my work. Yeah. And um, the benefit of that is that a lot of people will um, settle much more easily, even if they're very distressed when they first first come in. So I can actually start to see a greater range of complexity. People doing all kinds of interesting things. Yeah. I'd like to invite perhaps a, a bit of embodied practice myself, if, if you don't mind, with I noticed my my breathing has settled a lot more compared to the start of the podcast. My um, respiratory rate was a bit higher up and in, in more shallow, and now it's a little bit uh, lower. And I've I I would describe my body feeling settled. My kind of um, heart rate is lowered, and I, I feel a, a, a sense of curiosity now for um, what might emerge moving forward with with our our dialogue and a, a bit of uncertainty, a bit of anxiety as well. Um, not going to lie, and and that I really I would love to hear a little bit more about um, this embodied practice. And um, I I know that in some of our, li of our listeners we, we we talk about mindfulness practice and awareness practice, and I feel like it's uh, it would be helpful to have some um, lived examples if you don't mind. Mm. Do you want to take the bat and make it? Okay. <laughs> I can if you want, but um, oh, I'm happy to have a go. I think what comes to mind for me is other people um, helping guide me. I think, I think I've always had a bit of a curiosity around just doing mindfulness as a solo practice um, and maybe that space around we're truly um, connecting humans that we actually were either in relationship with other people, ourselves, nature. Um, so I think for, for my experience, I've really um, benefited from having someone guide me. So doing, you know, I started doing um, Hakomi somatic psychotherapy as a patient. Um, and that just for me, uh, was profoundly impacting for, in lots of ways. Um, I think I'd, myself, I'd come to a place of like a limit in talk therapy where I, I understood everything intellectually, but my body was still not there. And so there, it felt like there was even bigger gap and that was more frustrating because I'd put in all of this intellectual cognitive work um, and even learning about mindfulness annoyed me because it was just another intellectual construct to have to try and negotiate and apply and be good at. But it, um, so for me and my personal experience, I really loved um, being guided by a professional in that. Um, and, and then being able to notice where I might be doing that with other people, like my son is a beautiful place for me to, to every moment come back to, to what's going on. Um, and I think for me as well, um, like I just love things like swaying trees and, and clouds moving and, and things that make me stop and kind of be in relationship with something in the moment, um, something really simple. Um, so I don't see it as I'm going to go now do some practice. I'm probably look, if I notice in myself, I notice that I want to go and connect with something or someone and deepen my dialogue with it. Um, that's the best way that I can uh, encapsulate it at the moment. Does that answer your question? That's quite, that's quite beautiful. For me, I have a kinesthetic sense of when I'm aroused or when I'm settled and when I'm calm or when I'm a bit agitated. So when I hear you, Kit, talk about your embodied experience, I can feel my felt sense of calm. Yeah. When I think about the people that come and see me, my first, uh, my need is to meet them in a calm place. And I actually um, 
teach them how to do that. Teach them how to be able to um, tune into their own experience in the moment in a way that is calming for them rather than um, tapping into the tra any trauma or any um, story. So providing the safety for them to turn up and, and disclose stuff, that's my starting place. So um, in some ways, I'm kind of a bit of a neutral screen. So, you know, I, I really do try to see what it is that's going to, that, that is their main, their main thing going on. And that does take me sitting back a little bit and holding the space and just breathing and just grounding and just allowing and asking the questions. Um, and to track their breathing or, or my felt sense of are we settling here or are we are we moving here? Am I asking too many cognitively based questions? Are they having to work too hard to be here? You know, because a lot of the time the people that see me are exhausted. But they also say, I need to say to people what I think they want to hear. You know, I see the doctor, I see the specialist, I see the surgeon, I see the physio, I see the psychologist, I see. Um, so in some ways, a lot of the time I'm I'm working to allow them to rest a little bit in that space. And I use my felt sense of calm in my body to determine how we're actually doing. So there's the the relationship side of mindfulness where it's it's it can be guided with our relationship to ourselves, a relationship, a dialogue with someone, with with nature, um, rather than another exercise prescription method. And and then I'm 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 hearing the the importance of holding safety at the start for someone to to be vulnerable, to have that uh, that rest, um, especially if they're already they've already been traumatized by the medical system that unfortunately we we are uh, in in some ways with our professional titles and our context that we shape, depending on which context we are in, um, we we are sometimes a part of. And I think it's um, it's important to have, have both that we can have that uh, that um, safety and that guidance with someone else doesn't have to be another um, exercise for someone to do. Well, and I think it's, the point about me being guided was really, for me, that was my real first um, experience of what I could aspire to provide for my the people I see. So I think for me, that became a pathway because I could actually sense what this was rather than have an intellectual understanding of it. So that was what was so big for me around that was it provided the experience, the experiential feeling of safety um, and curiosity and work, you know, inverted commas, healing, whatever you want to call it. That was new for me. I hadn't, I hadn't had that. I hadn't had someone hold that space for me. So stepping into that, I feel like my whole world of therapeutic, you know, influence just burst the doors open because you're like, oh, this is, this is what we have potential for. Yeah, yeah. And in that, you know, that idea that are you with me, like are you seeing me seeing you seeing me, you know, that 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 fact that a lot of people who are coming to see us already have had repeated um, experiences of their lived experience of their whatever it is not being seen and not being met. So that idea of somebody saying, so what is it like to have a broken leg? Or what is it like to have long-term pain? Like we talk about what's the impact, you know, with our questionnaires and stuff. But to actually sit in that space and go, so what is it like for you, Kit, to be here right now, 
are you feeling seen and heard and understood? Are you feeling being held? Or are you holding something back? Because at some level, Shelley's not really here or Daniel's not really here for me. And often people with long-term pain feel incredibly isolated and incredibly alone. And you don't want to repeat that experience with them within your clinical encounter. Part of it is at some level that intrinsic trust that you're going to be there, even if they burst into tears or scream the house down or have been nasty or rude on the phone or, you know, whatever, that you're not going to judge them in any way at that point. You're actually going to welcome. You're welcome here. You know, you can be messy and you can not get it right and you can tell me you haven't done your exercises and you're still welcome. I'm not going to disconnect from you, which is what often they have had an experience of before. Mm. And unfortunately, the parallel experience for a lot of practitioners is they too feel isolated and alone in the experience going, oh my goodness, what's going on? You know, I'm not sure what to do here. So that's why there's this kind of ideas around collective. We're all holding the trauma. We're, we're having a similar experience, a shared experience, different, but shared. You know, we're all facing the same storm. We're just in different boats. So mindfulness is, is a way, but it's actually a little bit deeper than mindfulness. It's actually really about um listening and being there to understand as close as we possibly can their experience and for them to know that that's what we're trying to do. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I notice um, resonating with that as a some energy in my chest, my, my neck tightening up a little bit of Ah, yes. And remembering the times in past memories where I didn't hold that space for someone and I um, took too much space in that consult or I educated at them and remembering some of the mistakes um, and how my body felt as well. I'm now reflecting on it for the first time. And it was also in a similar way, constricted is how I would define this feeling now. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in some ways, that's my experience right now. I feel, oh, God, I've been talking. <laughs> I've been doing so much talking. <laughs> it really is time to let somebody else do some talking. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, beautifully said, Daniel, mm. and so true, that contraction away, not the expansion towards, yeah. Mm. And I'm mindful of the time. I have uh, a topic that has come up when just reflecting on the felt experience of constriction um, and Kit touched on it with social media and uh, maybe not feeling like we belong in that sense, but I'd, I'd love to hear it if, if you're comfortable in your own words, um, what the, the, the challenges, the difficulty, and, and also what, what we need as that safety um, to be able to be vulnerable because I see a lot of people that it's not that just don't have the resources around them the support that they need as a first step are you can I clarify are you speaking about on social media particularly or with practitioners or mm. what, what's the I'd say with practitioners more so um, and and colleagues uh, it's funny I get the the sense the constriction with social media, as mm. well as in certain spaces, clinical spaces, the same. Yeah. Um, well, I think I've mentioned a couple of other times my hesitance to come and chat in in these sort of spaces because I do I do sense a, a, you know an old story around being criticised or or like Shirley kind of mentioned maybe the harshness the harshness of um, 
our world potentially in how we have been taught and and I think what comes up when I work with people at the moment the theme is even in learning more about how we can uh, work with ourselves there's this the incessant number of people that we see um, and the, the the patient numbers and I feel like at the moment there's a bit of a theme going around well if we just all learn to regulate we'll be fine and that's missing the whole point in my opinion <laughs> um, so I'm curious around maybe there's for me this theme around we get some more information and then we kind of apply it still as a fix which is our old fixer space so you know new information arrives oh how can we get this and make everything better mm. and I think what comes up again and again in both clients and people that I'm working with um, health practitioner wise is this space to hold sadness and grief and loss and things that we normally even as a western society don't really value talking about or 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 acknowledging and I think that keeps coming through in in working in these spaces more and more and I'm sure Shelley has many a story to tell but I think what I'm noticing is that that we want to apply the fix quickly again and in doing so we dismiss or or are not meeting this uh yep for some people it's it's sadness for some people it's anger which might be then sadness underneath you know um but I think that's in my opinion right now right here that's what I would say is needed but again then you could argue how how do you do that um not well on social media in a, in a short answer um and that's so beautiful Kit what you've just said because that for me is the is the unknown unknowable un unlanguaged space of both you and Daniel meeting um, the social media world from your practitioner place mm. and trying to navigate the, the, the boundary between that. Like, wh what is this place? You know, do I come across as a, I'm just, I'm just playing with this now. Do I come across as a brash marketer, you know, and Mm. You know, whatever you know you get you know five steak knives if you sign up for 20 physio appointments or whatever you know whatever it is yeah. to that actually I'm providing a different experience here and I can't describe it completely yet I, you know there's not the language there's always one removed from the experience so I'm I haven't got the language quite sorted here um and I can describe what I, my intention is here. This is what I'd like to be able to do or like to be able to offer. Mm. And whatever you bring is welcome. And I will try and meet you. So you don't have to change yourself in any way to be here with me, mm. which is what we demand of our patients usually. Mm. You know, all the time. So that implicit demand, you have to be a certain way to make it through the door, mm. I imagine is, is not, not here in this room right now with us. Mm. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. So that unknowable space, I think, is very real. Mm. Well, and I think for me, what you've named has been the last five years of trying to, you know, tussle with that in a conflict of going, you've got to name what you are, people want to know, and then going, I don't have the words yet. And then I, you know, do a bit more, sort a bit more out, and then I'm like, I still don't have the words yet. <laughs> but I yeah. think that represents that beautiful not knowing that maybe words aren't actually required. It's, it's presence or it's not knowing or it's exploring or it's, uncertainty um, and that willingness to be open to to something different yeah you said Shelley you know but boundaring it not too woo-woo for the people who need it to not be that way you know we need to acknowledge that yeah and you know I struggle with my own naming what I do mm. you know 
And that's why, you know, having this opportunity to talk through, well, this is kind of what I do and this is kind of what I've found and this is kind of my intention is really, you know, I'm I'm very grateful for it because I haven't put myself out there into the world because I can't, I haven't got a product. You know, I haven't got, the, you know, the the course or the the journal article, you know, I have a thesis and I have research but and I have experience, but I haven't wrapped it all up and put it into a nice little neat niche package and said this is this is me because it's it's emergent. It's a it's a universal thing that I it's here. It's just human meeting human really. Mm. Mm. There's that sense of of human, of honesty, of of humility, of not knowing. I think we're taught so much that we need to know all the answers, and that that fixer mindset is coming. Even right now, as I speak, I'm I'm just like, we just need more examples. The, the <laughs> mind, we just need to see more patient demos, and I need to make sure we get some more patient demos. And that's <laughs> it's 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 funny. It's it, even as we're talking, the fixer is still in there. And it's um, my relationship to the fixer changes all the time, and it's it's um, it's a, it's now uh, by talking about it now I can accept it. I can be like it's it's okay to not know to not be able to fix all the collective trauma from intergenerations and like so much of healthcare and history of of research and so there's a lot of shit that's gone on, um, and we can be here now and. And, and talk about it in a, with vulnerability, with, with all the challenges, all the struggles that we face and even just um, having conversation is, 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 it, is, is the way forward, I feel. And that's okay. Yeah, beautiful, beautifully said. Thank you, Daniel. Mm. Mm. I'd like to take this opportunity as... Um, as a reflection of of any anything that that's shown up, anything you've noticed um, over this time that we've had and in in this space, and uh, again, I really stress the appreciation of being here and and being vulnerable and being in this space and having this this dialogue. It's it's not easy, so open to to reflections. I think for me the the slowness and the and the the lovely rhythm um, was surprising in an embodied way. I think um, I'd hoped that this we would have it, and Shelley promised it, so I trusted in it. <laughs> but there was part of me that was a little bit worried it was going to go fast, and I was going to feel a bit. Um, maybe like, hang on, hang on, you know, um, will I understand? Will I be able to answer questions? So I think um, for me, the speed was lovely. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious how it'll land with listeners, obviously. Um, that part popped in and out a bit as we were chatting. Um, and I think it's just, a, it's just a really cool experience to be able to do this. And for you, Daniel, to even name that you want more examples and for us not to have to give them. <laughs> like just holding that tension around, I'd love, like my brain went, oh, I'll give you one. I had one yesterday. Do you want one? <laughs> I've got one. I've got a really good one. <laughs> oh, let me fix and please, you know, like I noticed that part of me going, oh, we can do that. Is that with the audience? Is that what we need? So, you know, I think it's, um, I think it's powerful when we can, we can name and hold and, and also be a bit, um, I've said I like to be a little bit silly around things sometimes just to lighten the darkness because I think that's, again, a really lovely way that kind of comes through with patients as well is, is finding the time to have that, that lightness and bringing that in as well. And it's not in a dismissive way but being able to, again, you know, navigate and negotiate a session that's not always heavy or... Um, where there are gaps to have a little rest as well, or even just in, enjoy the yummy stuff, which is the the light stuff or the good stuff. Mm. I noticed some of that today as well. 
Thank you so much, Kit. I love hearing you speak. You know that, right? <laughs> um, Daniel, for me, I always go into that I've spoken too much stuff. Like I, I have talked way too much about theoretical underpinnings and, well, isn't that interesting that, that you know, that's come from, you know, attachment theory or that comes from, you know, vagal nerve theory or that comes from, you know, interpersonal neuroscience and, you know, that's where my brain goes. Um, I'm, I'm realise I'm quite protective about my clinical encounters, that there's a an intimacy. I know that sounds a very strange word to use, but there's an intimacy around my encounters. Like even here, I feel very protective of Kit and I feel very protective of you that I, you know, I don't want pushback too much. Like, you know, we've entered into a dialogue and I'm open to feedback, but I really don't, I really don't want the wave of what, what was that, you know, kind of thing, mm. even though I'm open to it. But yeah. So um, yeah, that's, that's what, that's what I, where I've gone with it. And so appreciative of having this opportunity, like, you know, even though I didn't come up with lots of examples in the manual and <laughs> the PowerPoint presentation. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> That's the next episode. <laughs> That's how we keep people on edge and, and wanting more each time. Oh, is that what you mean by edge? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, that, uh, to share what's, what, um, what I noticed is very much the... I echo the the speed, the tone of voice is what what helps me ground and be present. And for um, having hearing your voices uh, was a way for me to connect not only to each of you as as we've been speaking through um, this online platform where I can't really see the rest of your body, but <laughs> also uh, a way for me to connect with myself. So the the tone of voice. Um, and then just the the honesty and, and that playfulness, that banter is what I call it, the, the humor. Um, uh, it's a really special uh, um, safe space to be in. And um, I can just say, like, fuck it, whatever the audience takes is what they take. And they're going <laughs> to, um, I think I've definitely learned from this experience. And I, I'm so sure that people have um, appreciated this openness as well and um yeah i'm excited to learn more about this and for now i'm bringing the listeners back for the listeners who are also keen to learn more about this approach um and who resonate with what we've talked about love to hear um where they can contact you and and, and um uh, more about your work kit first and then shelly uh yeah so i um <clears throat> I work with um, with clients. Um, I work with um, other other health professionals, um, and I also work in uh, small healthcare settings who are open to kind of this sort of approach, I suppose, in in a different different context. Um, you can find me probably the best ways to go to my website. There's a lot of information there. So wisephysiotherapy.com.au. I'm reluctantly on social media as Wise Ways Kit. Um, and Facebook as well as physiotherapy. May I plug a oh, certain? And podcast? I also have a podcast. Sorry, Alex. Um, <laughs> uh, Alex and I have uh, just done our third episode on um, what's it called again, Daniel? A great uh, clinicians, great chats. Uh, uh, I can't remember. Oh, My brain's right. offline. Um, <laughs> he's going to kill me. Um, <laughs> Real oh clinicians. God. Real clinicians, real chat. It's great to me, so that's why. <laughs> yeah, um, and I highly recommend it. I've listened to all of them and I'm keen for the next one. So, Well, and interestingly, the next one, Alex wants to talk about his uh, building embodied experience. Mm. So there's your, little, there's your little catch for the next <laughs> conversation. Yeah, so... I just work at the local community health in Ballina. So if anybody needs to get hold of me, it's just shelley.barlow at health.nsw.gov.au. So just through the web, you know, through the ordinary email. I have a private practice that works primarily on Zoom with people all over the world. 
um, with pain. Um, and I also mentor physios, um, primarily first years, and I also work at the Gestalt Institute in Brisbane um, in their academic um, faculty. So, yes, yeah, so in it, I work with somatic embodied experience. So that's if anybody wants to explore more about that, then um, I'm sure we can have another chat around that. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's the, the point, isn't it? This was just such a toe dip into what is a vast field. You know, there's so much more, I think, to emphasise that. It was, a, it was a lovely toe dip. Um, but, you know, as I'm learning, it, it just keeps unfolding and unfolding. And it's lovely to learn about and have Shelley as someone who I can chat to whenever I like, it feels like, <laughs> which is really supportive. Um, you know, so I encourage anyone to to, to reach out because there, there is. Yeah. 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 Thank you. And mm. thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure. And looking forward to the next one. Appreciate very much the, the dialogue, the, the triad dialogue. Is it? I'm, I'm learning all the terms as we go and I'll keep <laughs> learning. The next time we chat, I'll, I'll have a new vocabulary, vocabulary I swear. Thank you thank both. Thank you. And until next thank time. Thank you. Bye-bye.